Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we look at your triumphal entry and as you were raised upon the cross for us, I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would anoint my lips, that I might speak your words in our hearts, that we might be touched by Jesus, your word to us. Amen. If you've ever been to a parade, you might have had a flag in your hand, perhaps waving it as people went by. This is the flag for the Hebrew people. That's what we were doing as we processed around shouting out, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Palm Sunday is all about expectations. It's all about what the Hebrews expected the Messiah to be. You saw it there in the Passion, in that line that you said, if he is the chosen one, let him save himself. Well, that chosen one, that's another word for Messiah. If he is the Messiah, let him save himself. You see, the Hebrew people were expecting Jesus to be a conquering king. They were expecting and greeting him as someone who is worth a victory parade. But their expectations were all wrong. For all roads for Jesus lead to Jerusalem and the cross and his gospel. And in today's gospel, Jesus goes public with that. It's not the first time that his disciples would have heard of it. But it is the first time, it seems, that the crowds hear of it. Open with me, if you would, to the first gospel that Father Joshua read for us at the beginning of the service. We'll look at it together. It's Luke chapter 19 and begins with verse 28. And when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go to the village in front of you. On entering, you will find a colt on which no one has yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found so those who were sent away and found it just as it was told to them. And as they were untying it, its owners said to him, "Why are you untying the colt?" And they said, "The Lord has need of it." And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near, as he was drawing near. Already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice and all the mighty works, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Do you see, they're treating Jesus as a conquering king. 
it all seems very familiar to us that go around every year doing this. But what the Hebrews were doing with the palms in this procession was something in their culture akin to waving the American flag on a parade route. You see, about a hundred years earlier, this very event had happened before without Jesus, but with another person, Judas Maccabee, son of a Jewish high priest. And what had Judas Maccabee done? He had raised an army and overthrown the Greeks. And he had led a procession triumphantly down through the streets of Jerusalem to the temple and cleansed the palace from the fact that the Greeks had desecrated it earlier. And that's where the Jews get the Feast of Hanukkah from. That's where they celebrate Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. It's the cleansing of the temple that went on a hundred years before Jesus. This is what the people were hoping hoping for because you see while Judas Maccabeus had driven out the Greeks in later came the Romans and the Romans were no easy no easy uh, oppressors and so they thought that Jesus would be this Messiah King that would come in I mean after all he raised the dead after all he healed the sick after all he talked about the kingdom of God why not overthrow the Romans and finally bring peace to their country. That's what they were expecting. They wanted that Messiah King. They wanted someone to save them, someone to rescue them. You know, that's what Hosanna means. Rescue us. Or, in the past tense, thank you for rescuing us is what Hosanna means. So they cry out, And of course, Jesus is going to rescue them, just as he rescues us, but he rescues them in such a different way. And with such an unexpected method. Look with me here at this icon. Can you all see it? It's called extreme humility. Extreme humility. Humility, And there Christ is dressed both as king and sacrifice. Why is it called extreme humility? Because on his way to the cross, Jesus perfectly embodies what it is to be humble. What it is to be strong and yet to put yourself in the service of the Father. Extreme humility... When Jesus is hauled before Pontius Pilate in John's Gospel, which we didn't read today, but which gives a parallel account, Jesus enters into Pilate's headquarters and Pilate asks him very much as we read today, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and says, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Indeed, it was not that Jesus didn't have the power to be that earthly king, 
to be that liberator that the Hebrews expected. He had all the power in the world and then some as the Son of God. Jesus the humble is not Jesus the weak. Jesus the humble is Jesus the strong. With the snap of his fingers, just as he tells Pontius Pilate, if his kingdom were of this world, he could set everything right. He wouldn't be standing there being scourged by Pontius Pilate. He wouldn't be taken to the cross. Not only would people rise up, but the angels themselves. Heck, the stones themselves, which could cry out, he could have rise up and defend him. Jesus Christ is that powerful as the Son of God. But Jesus has different plans in mind. He has the Father's plan most specifically in mind. And that's because of his love of humanity. He was humble. All this is foretold in Isaiah's prophecy. Look with me back at the first reading which Philip read to us. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Do you see? Jesus demonstrates to anyone who's willing to see just how much God loves them. What Israel could not see was the depth of their problem. They thought they had a social problem. They thought they had a political problem. They had a much bigger problem than that. They needed a much stronger Messiah than that. They didn't need someone to liberate them from just Roman rule. They didn't need someone just to free them from external oppression. They needed someone to free them from so much more their expectations were all wrong. They didn't need a great teacher. They didn't just need a rabbi who could teach them the right ways to live so that they could be good moral people or come to some kind of inner enlightenment. The people's expectations were all wrong. They didn't need a therapist who could make them feel more confident in themselves, giving them self-esteem so that somehow they could find themselves or be free to be themselves. Their expectations were all wrong. Jesus is not the king or the Messiah that they want. And maybe you're beginning to see that he's not the king or Messiah that you and I want. He is the king and the Messiah that we need. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus tells his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and killed and on the third day be raised. This majestic riding of the Prince of Peace into Jerusalem, soon to be whipped and treated worse than the donkey that he's riding on to carry the cross, the instrument of his execution, is that majestic Prince of Peace 
But first, he must go to death. Jesus prophesied it earlier in Luke's gospel. And more than 500 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied it in chapters 52 and 53. Do you see how God's plan is being knit together over the years? The king, far from triumphantly ascending the throne to the hosannas of his own people, does go to the throne, but it's to the cross. Look with me at chapter 53, verses 3 and 4. What will this Messiah look like? Isaiah tells us. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And yet, this is the fulfillment of God's plan. It's the king that we need. The king that seems defeated would be saving them, ironically, by not saving himself. By pouring himself out. That's God's plan. Again, look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was brought the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Or as St. Paul reflects and says in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21, in the New Testament, for our own sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus covers us with his blood. He gives us that grace by being crushed. It's not cheap grace, friends. If you're a Christian, you have the ability not just to think about Jesus' extreme humility, or just meditate on it. You have the ability, in fact, according to the Bible, you and I have the duty to imitate it in our own lives. The rest of Luke chapter 9, where he foretells his death, Jesus continues by telling his disciples, verse 23, and he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Being a Christian is a strange thing. It's being more humble and obedient. It's in that action that God makes us strong. In our Lenten uh, book that we're reading and have just finished our class on today, written by philosopher and professor Peter Kraft, he writes this, if we come to God with empty hands, he will fill them. If we come with full hands, he finds no place to put himself. Think about that again. If we come to God with empty hands, he will fill them. If we come to him with full hands, he finds no place to put himself. It is in our beggary it is in our receptivity that we find hope, that we find strength. It's what Jesus models 
in obedience to God and the passion. And it's what saves us. It's what we're called to. This week especially, come, I invite you, as we did at the beginning of the service, walk with Jesus. Make it a priority. Come to at least one of the Holy Week services, which tell this story in its fullness. See the God who saves us. But don't just see it. See how it is that we are to take up our cross and follow him daily in obedience and humility. Do not come to your king with expectations like the crowds did on Palm Sunday. For your expectations, even as learned Christians, are often wrong. Come to Jesus, your king. But don't come to him just for someone who can be a fix to your society or your politics. Don't come to him as someone that can give you a nice teaching, like those came to him as a rabbi and can say, well, I'll take that from you, but no, I don't, I don't want to do that, Jesus. Don't come to him with the expect, expectation that he's going to be some kind of spiritual guru that'll just help you through your problems, some kind of cosmic therapist. He can address all those things, of course. Yes, he brings peace, truth, and healing. It's true. But first, he brings the Father's will. Salvation and restoration. And to receive it requires that open hand. To receive it requires extreme humility. C.S. Lewis writes, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And it's a biggish step, too. At least nothing, whatever, can be done before it. If you think that you're not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Come with empty hands to Jesus. Receive him. Let him rule. Follow him. He is our Savior, and he is our King, and he is our Messiah, but not because we acclaim him so, rather because he's made us his by being a king sacrifice. He's made us his by not meeting, but exceeding our expectations. He's not the king we want. He's the king that we need. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.